You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Ops and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive into today's show, I want to remind Duck fans out there who are not subscribing to DuckTerritory.com that you can jump in and get into VIP access, get into our message boards, read all our content, read across the network, uh, get basically all the duck scoop that you need for just $1 gets you in for the first month after that $9.95. And then when you go to full price, you also get CBS 10,000 shows, live sports, movies, on demand, commercial free. Now, Eric, let's get into this show we've got a heavy basketball show this week because or this monday because a today tonight the women have a huge game uh on the road at stanford a game in which oregon could potentially lock up the pac-12 conference championship we've also got to recap the craziness that happened in the desert for the men on the road at arizona and that's where we're going to start oregon goes to arizona and Another overtime game, another one-point win by the Ducks, 73-72 over the Arizona Wildcats, a game in which Peyton Pritchard, I think, Eric, locks up Pac-12 Player of the Year award because he plays all 45 minutes that are available, for all 40 in regulation, all five in overtime. He shoots 12 of 27 from the field, 6 of 14 on three-pointers, 8 of 8 on free throws, finishes the game with a new career high, 38 points, and afterwards head coach Dana Altman says that's as as fine of a performance as he could remember as head coach at Oregon. Altman's been here 10 years. I'm with him. I can't think of another game in which Peyton Pritchard in which any other player at Oregon had that type of a performance in that type of a stage with that type of a of a opponent that they're playing with what was all at stake for Oregon because if they lose this game they're not going to be in the race for the conference championship and Pritchard basically carried them all the way to the to the win. Yeah, Peyton Pritchard, Pac-12 Player of the Year, feels basically like a sure thing right now, Matt. And I'm trying to think. I would I would say like. Remy Martin at Arizona State is his biggest competition probably right now. Would you agree with that? And, and just looking at the way they performed head-to-head this year, and obviously Arizona State now has a split. Arizona State, we should say, um, after this weekend is is a half game ahead of the rest of the conference at, at the top of the league. So, that, so there's a decent argument there. But I was looking through um, this run that Arizona State is on because they've gone from being kind of in the, the, the dweller to the top of the conference over the last – what have they won? Seven straight games. And it hasn't entirely been Remy Martin. It's been a lot. I was looking at the stats. A lot of it's been Alonzo Verge off the bench. He's been their leading scorer during that stretch. But, like, it, it, does it feel like there's really strong competition on your end for Pritchard? Or does it feel like – because Saturday's game is, like, not the only pack game opportunity, I guess I should say, in Pac-12 play where he has just blown the doors off and been absolutely phenomenal. You think about the way he played against Washington, some of the other big shots he's hit. Um, throughout conference play in this season as a whole. It feels like he's just had a ton of moments, but I think you're right that Saturday's game feels kind of like the icing on the cake. It feels like the top one, and I was I was trying to think about individual moments that were bigger from a men's perspective since Altman was here. I think the only thing I could think of was 
one moment was the Dylan Brooks three-pointer against UCLA. That felt more significant, but this was, in terms of a totality of a performance, I think far greater than what Brooks did in that game, because I think he only scored like 20 points or something in that one. Yeah, like I, to go with that one first, I, I can't recall a bigger performance, at least from Dana Altman's time as head coach at Oregon. Um, I mean, maybe Joe Young, in, who when he hit the game winner, against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Like you said, Dylan Brooks against UCLA. There aren't very many else, uh, I mean, very many uh, other games out there that just... Joe, didn't, didn't Joe Young have one where he scored like 18 straight in the second half against Arizona State on the road, but they still lost or something yes. like that? I think there was yes. a game like I th- that. I think the fact that Arizona, or the fact that Oregon won this game... Right. ...is the trump card for basically every other performance out there. Like... There are there have been games where guys have gone off, but there's there's been games in which Oregon didn't win, and this one is a game in which Oregon wins. And I look at it as like this is the best performance that Oregon individually probably since Luke Jackson mm-hmm. um, in the NIT when he scored 47, I believe, and or 41 somewhere in there, and and. Yeah had like what, like 27 straight points for Oregon. Um, as for Pac-12 player of the year race, uh, I think this is, I think it's wrapped up. I think it's Peyton yep. Pritchard. And Remy Martin's probably the biggest challenger for that award. But like you said, Alonzo Verge is the guy during Pac-12 play for ASU. He's averaging like 21 points a game, uh, in AS, in, in Pac-12 play for, for the Sun Devils. Um, it's not Remy Martin. <clears throat> Remy Martin's playing well, but it's not Remy Martin that's that's like ASU's best player down the stretch during this amazing run. It's it's Alonzo Verge. Um, but I think Pritchard leads the conference in points. He leads the conference in assists. He's top ten in three point percentage. He's in the the top I think five or maybe it's ten in steals per game. Uh, he's one of the team's top rebounders. They're in the conference hunt for the pack for the conference championship. I mean, everything's just falling in line for, you know, he's top here or he's in the top group of here. And on top of that, I don't know if Remy Martin has the individual accolades that Pritchard has in which, I mean, go back to the Michigan game when he scored the final 13 points in regulation to send it to overtime. Uh, and in overtime to win the game or 13 straight points. Uh, he had a huge performance against Seton Hall. He made the, the game winning assist. Uh, go back to, uh, a shot he hit against Arizona the first time at home to tie the game. Uh, go back to the dagger he hit against California, uh, on the road to win that game. Go back to the, the shot at up in Seattle. I mean, what he did in that performance down the stretch. And now most recently this Arizona game, I just, I have a really hard time finding some, you know, finding an argument to say that Peyton Pritchard's not the Pac-12 player of the year. Where do you feel like he, he sets up himself up in terms of national player of the year? Because obviously when you just ran through the Pac-12 competition and, and I agree, I think he's pretty far ahead, you know, head and shoulders, the clear choice, but like nationally, do you think he has like an outside chance? Does he have a decent chance of winning like a wooden award or one of those kind of Things or, or, or does that seem too far out of uh, or, or where do you think he stands with that right now? Um, I th- I think I think he's not out of it uh, without a doubt. Um, I, he's probably the fact that they lost to ASU probably hurts him. 
the loss to Oregon State hurts him more. The loss to Stanford hurts him more. Um, he's going to have to play, you know, at, at his best level of basketball down the stretch, down the final three games of the regular season. And then whatever they do in the Pac-12 tournament um, to get there, I think, and, and I, I can't remember, I can't recall when the award comes out. Maybe it comes out during the tournament, after the tournament, before the tournament. I can't, I can't remember. Um, that could also impact things there. But I think he's in the discussion for him to win it. He's probably going to have to have a couple more crazy games, uh, production-wise, and Oregon. He, he can't lose if he wants, if he wants to win that award. I think what's more likely is he's a first team All-American. I think, I think that's, that's much more likely than him winning conference, the national player of the year. Two things from overtime that we have to at least address. A, Shakur Juston scores all nine of Oregon's points, including the go-ahead basket with about, what, 1.4 seconds, I think is what they put on the clock. Will Richardson deserves a ton of credit for that play, obviously. He sets it up with a nice wraparound pass. And then the fact that after Houston makes the basket, and you had a tweet, and I don't want to call you out, but you had a tweet saying the game was over, uh, Arizona ends up getting two free throw attempts at the buzzer to, uh, to have a chance to win. They missed them both. Um, they also missed two free throws at the end of regulation, too. But, um, A, just like how, how crucial was Houston's contributions at the end there? Obviously huge uh, to see that development. And B, uh, probably not the best end of game uh, in no. terms of fouling <laughs> not that they've ever seen from the Alvin coach team. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, uh, pressed send too early on that one and was paid the price for it. Uh, Justin, though, was huge. I mean, in, in a game in which you were just like, can you just get something yep. from anybody down low for Oregon in this game? And he scored all nine of Oregon's overtime points, finishes the game with 14. I mean, I said at halftime that if, if Justin, Duarte, and Richardson could, and, or I think it was Richardson, Duarte, and anyone down low for Oregon, if they could give them 20 points in the second half, they would win the game. Richardson scored two. Duarte scored, or, yeah, two. Uh, Duarte scored two, so that's four. And then Justin got in on the action with nine, so that's 13. Lawson scored two, that's just 15. And then Francis Socorro scored two with 17. And, you know, so they, they almost hit that 20 mark and they, and they found a way to win. But Justin's production, I've always felt like he hasn't had the opportunities to showcase his, his ability to score down low. Um, I, for whatever reason this season, I, I think he's underrated. I, 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 he's not a jump shooter. He's not a guy that's going to hit the elbow jump shot. That's just not his game. But if they can give him the ball in the low post, I think he's better than what his reputation is. And against Arizona in overtime, we saw that play out. I mean, he, he scored the game winning basket on a layup. He had two layups from Peyton Pritchard, uh, off the pick and rolls, which is six. And then he made uh, another basket, I believe. I can't remember who it came off of. And maybe it was a Pritchard assist as well. And then he had one free throw. And I just – I think with his passing abilities and he, he's a really athletic player, I, I think he can be that low post guy for Oregon. The problem is it's, it's such an inconsistent deal, whether it's him just not trying to score or the lack of – of touches down low. I mean, he only took nine shots. 14 points on nine shots is, 
is pretty good. But where would Oregon be without Shakur Juston in that game? Uh, they would have another another loss, and they would probably drop out of the top 15, which uh, while we've done this podcast, it's it's been released. And look, Oregon, Oregon has spent one week outside of the top 15 in the AP poll this season. And the, the polls come out again, and they're 14th in, in the country. So uh, that would not have happened if if Houston did not have a big game in, in overtime. And then I guess just are you how concerned? What's your I guess your your concern level right now about the backcourt other than Peyton Pritchard? Because you obviously no one's concerned about him the way he's playing right now. But this has been a couple of games here, and I know you addressed Duarte's finger. Um, he again was just basically unable to score. He scored. He was one for eight from the field. His one basket was off an offensive rebound putback. Um, Will Richardson wasn't a lot better. He was two for seven. He did have that. We talked about that assist he had to Justin. He huge play there, but for the most part was pretty quiet. Uh, only scored four points. Are, are you are you pretty concerned about what they're not getting from those two? Are you seeing things that encourage you about what they can be, or are you starting to look at the rest of this conference slate and with Duarte with the bad finger and Richardson being up and down, thinking that Pritchard really does need to be a, a star every single night out for them to win? Well, I do think. Um... Pritchard needs to approach every game kind of, in my mind, like what he did against Arizona. And oftentimes I feel like we've seen him kind of use the first half to set all his teammates up and get going, and and then in the second half try and turn it on and and carry the team late. And I'm not saying he needs to go out and just shot hunt in the first half and and not run the offense and whatnot, but if, if, if he's got a shot, take it. And don't worry about what everyone else is doing because when he's playing at a high level, Oregon's really good. And everyone starts suffocating on him and opens everybody else up. Uh, but in terms of your question, I, I think I'm more concerned about Duarte just because, I mean, go look at his game logs since he hurt his finger leading up to the Oregon State game, what, three weeks ago? Yep. And at Oregon State, he had 11 points, 5 of 10 from the field, but a lot of those came on layups. And against Colorado, he had eight. Again, a lot of those came on layups. Utah, he did not score. ASU, he had 10 points. But again, a lot of them came on layups. And then against Arizona, he had two points. It was, you know, when he's not making his layups, he's not scoring because his finger is impacted. I mean, just look at his three point shooting yep. since Oregon State. One of three against the Beavers, one of six against Colorado, 0 of 2 against Utah, 1 of 2 against ASU, and 0 of 5 against Arizona. His shooting is off because of this injured finger. And it's nothing that's that's a fault to him. I mean, I'm not trying to bag on the guy and saying that he needs to do better, but it's just the reality. He's playing with an injured shooting hand, and it's grossly impacting uh, his shooting abilities. I mean, just go look at... Go look at the games prior to that and just his shooting percentages. Let's just go back to the Arizona game uh, at home on January uh, January 9th. One of three from three. Four of eight from three. Two of seven from three. One of six. Three of six. Four of seven. Two of three. Three of nine. So he's making consistent threes. He's making multiple three-pointers in every game but but two. And then all of a sudden it's like if he hits one, it's a big deal. That that to me is the bigger concern because I felt like before he hurt his finger, he was playing at an offensive level that was just as good as Peyton Pritchard. And, and Oregon had their one-two punch, and it was just basically, can you get one or two other guys night in, night out to show up and, and give you production from a scoring standpoint, and you're going to be really, really good. 
Yeah, I mean, you look back and just at the numbers uh, against USC, UCLA, Callum, and Stanford, the game right before he got that, that finger injury, and it was 30 points, 24 points, 19 points, 14 points, also had a lot of rebounds, a ton of steals in those games too. Um, you certainly want to see that come back together in, in Oregon. You're right. I, th- I think the, the high point of the season, at least from an offensive perspective in particular, probably defensive too because he was so active in it with his hands getting in the, in the passing lanes and obviously had eight steals against USC and six against UCLA. The high point of the season was when he was playing at a high level. Oregon needs to find a way to get him to kind of refine that level. But I, I do think it's a question of is he really capable with the bad finger? I mean, on a shooting hand, that can be – you know, detrimental. It obviously has been. I mean, the shooting numbers you ran through them have just completely gone through the floor. I mean, they, they've, they're not what they used to be. So uh, I, I, I continue to think, I mean, look, Peyton Pritchard, what he did on, on Saturday was absolutely incredible. The way he scored the basketball, the shots he hit. Um, he, you know, we should mention how clutch he was with those two free throws at the end of regulation to, yep. to tie it, send it to overtime, and how clutch he's been in all, all season in those spots. But they do need to find something from Duarte. Richardson has been at times been able to fill in, but has kind of shown his inconsistency at others. So um, I, I think that really, to me, is, is my big concern with this team, along with just the fact that what can they get on the block? And again, we should mention they didn't see any Folly Dante this weekend. I don't know if that's a huge surprise, but they're still kind of, outside of Juicen playing really, really well on Saturday, they're still kind of trying to find that offensive force um, around the basket um, to kind of be that inside out that they just haven't really had consistency, consistently this year. Now, the reality is Oregon is going to be playing their final three games at home. They are a significantly better team at home than they are on the road. And on top of that, Oregon also is playing um, part of, you know, basically the weakest schedule that anyone left in the hunt for the Pac-12 championship will play the in the final two weeks. Now, Oregon is one and two against these teams, which is a little concerning, but – you know, Arizona State has to go to UCLA and then has to go to USC and then still has to play Washington at home. And I understand Washington's 12th in the conference, but their talent is not the level of what a typical 12th place team is. I mean, it, it would be a surprise, but it wouldn't be that big of a surprise if Washington uh, knocked off uh, an Arizona or an Arizona State team just because, look, they have Isaiah, Tom- they have Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels and they play a funky zone and – They've got talent. They're just not playing, living up to that talent. Oregon plays 11th place Oregon State on Thursday, 9th place California next Thursday, and then 7th place Stanford next Saturday to close out the season. And you look at the other schedules of who, who these teams have to play, Oregon's got the best, the best schedule down the stretch. All three games at home, all three opponents that they're playing are not in the top half of the Pac-12 standings. Um, uh, Oregon needs some help and t- to be able to get there, uh, they, they're gonna need Arizona State to drop a game because they're up half a game. But Oregon holds the tiebreaker basically over everybody. I mean, they're split with Arizona State, they're split with Colorado, they hold the tiebreaker over Arizona, they hold the tiebreaker over UCLA, and if you really wanna get crazy, they hold the tiebreaker over the USC Trojans. If somehow they find their way into it. But even when you, you go down the list of, okay, they get in a tie with ASU. Oregon has the tiebreaker because Oregon swept Arizona. Arizona State split with Arizona. You go, if, if it's UCLA, uh, well, that could potentially change because Arizona State did beat UCLA as well. But, um, if, if UCLA knocks off Arizona State and Oregon and Arizona State are tied, Oregon has the split there. Colorado, same thing with Arizona schools. Um, 
I've gone through the scenarios and basically every tiebreaker is going to fall in Oregon's favor. They just need Arizona State to lose a game and out of their next four. And, and on top of that, Oregon, Oregon wins. Yeah, I was looking at this trying to figure it out too. And I think I feel pretty confident saying Oregon should be 13 and five at the end of regular season play. Yeah. Um, obviously that's something you can say, but they have to go out and do it. And, and you have concerns because Oregon State has been pretty feisty with just about everybody this year. No, they're only five and 10, but they've been competitive in, in most of those games. And then Stanford is kind of that weird wild card team where they have been really good at times, but recently haven't been playing great, but they have won in the last two. Um, if you win those three games, though, you're 13 and five, and I think I, I agree with what you just ran through there. It, it, I don't see. I feel pretty comfortable thinking that record is going to be at least even with a, a couple of these other teams. I don't expect Arizona State to go 14 and four, honestly. Um, and then, of course, you've got the tiebreaker with the rest of those. But I think Oregon's actually someone made it through this weekend. We talked about on Friday's show about how boy they might be in a tough spot after that Arizona State loss, but everything kind of fell Oregon's way to a certain extent this weekend. And to go back to find a team that won the conference with a 13 and five record, you have to go all the way back 10 years to 2009 and 2010, uh, the year in which the Cal Bears won the league at 13 and five. ASU was second at 12 and six, one game back, Washington 11 and seven, Arizona 10 and eight. Uh, that just shows you of just, in my eyes, 13 and 5 conference championship record doesn't happen very often. I mean, I, I've, I've gone back and, and, and looked at some of these and I can't find another one as far back as 2004, 2003 when a 13 and 5 record has won the league. It's only happened one time as far back as 2002, 2003 season and that, that's Cal. Um, so Oregon, they're going to need a little bit of history on, on, some, some you know, new history, I guess you could say, to right. fall their way if they're going to win. If they're going to win this league, just because um, it doesn't happen all that often, a thirteen and five team wins the league. And just one follow up on that uh, before we hit the break. Uh, I believe if Oregon does win it, that'll be the first time in conference history, assuming the Oregon women's basketball team also wins the conference. And we'll talk about that in a second, though. That one school will have won the regular season men's and women's basketball championship and football in one. Uh, calendar year. So that is something to kind of keep an eye out for here over the next couple of weeks that there could be some history made um, from that regard. And um, I think that would be pretty dang significant and talks about just the totality of how good Oregon has been in all three sports this year. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pray. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And um, before we dive into the Oregon at Stanford basketball game tonight, let's just look at the Pac-12 race and make some predictions of what plays out from the, from the men's standpoint. Oregon is half a game back. They're in a three-way tie for second place. ASU is at, in first at 10 and four in league. Oregon, UCLA, and Colorado, all 10 and five, half game out. Arizona's one game out of first place at nine and five. Uh, I said it before the break. Oregon's got the easiest schedule. I think Oregon goes three and zero, and they finish the season thirteen and five. Is that going to be enough to win the league, though? What, what are your thoughts, Eric? I just look at Arizona State, and it's really they're they're hard to gauge because I know they're really hot right now. They're winning a lot of games. I just feel really. I just I would be stunned if they end up being conference champions outright. I, I really would. Just having seen how this program has been the last couple of years, the way they faltered in big moments in the past. Um, you know, they've. Met, I mean, you think about. I can't remember if it was last year or before where they entered conference play with like the third best RPI and then ended up going like eight and ten or nine and nine in conference play. They just haven't been a program that has really put it all together. So maybe this is this is the year that one of Hurley's clubs does it and they 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 win the rest of their games and you look up and they're fourteen and four and hat tip to them. They go from being three and four to being fourteen and four. But that seems like a huge reach to me. I just look at these games this week. I think they're going to lose one of these games at the LA schools. UCLA has been really hot. They won five in a row. Um, pretty impressed with what they've done. USC's not been quite as hot, but they're still, like Oregon has seen in that overtime game, they're still extremely talented. I, 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 I kind of think it's going to be a bunch of teams finishing up the regular season at about 13-5. and five. I think Oregon will be one of them, and you ran through some of those tiebreakers. I think it could be one of those things where you're like on tiebreaker number six on the list. Right. There's like two or three teams that are tied at 13-5, and five. but I do think Oregon is going to at least finish um, with, a, with, a, with a tie or with a share, I should say of the Pac-12 Conference Championship this year. I don't know if I think they're going to get it outright, but I don't expect UC, uh, Arizona State. I just don't, I just feel, I think that's far-fetched to expect them to beat both UCLA and USC on the road this week. If they do that, I would feel they're pretty They're They enough. deserve it. Yeah, if they do that, I think they would win the conference, but I, I think they're going to split this weekend. I don't know which one they'll lose, but I think they're going to split this weekend, and you're going to look up, and uh, Oregon is going to be 13-5 and five with a couple of other teams in the Pac-12, and it's going to be one of those deals where the top seed maybe comes down to some funky tiebreaker like points forced or something like that, but right. it's going to be a thing where Oregon is, is, is among those teams. I'm with you. I, I I just I don't trust. It's kind of I won't trust you until you do it type of a deal with Arizona State. I mean they've never been in first place this late in the year, um, in Pac-12 history. So it's crazy. And with 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 games at UCLA and at USC, um, and then even a game at home against Washington, yeah. uh, it, you know it, it wouldn't surprise me. If they lost one of those three games, I think they will. I think Oregon and Arizona State are going to be in a three-way tie with UCLA. I, th- I think UCLA is going to get a sweep at home. They're going to beat both the Arizona schools, and they're also going to beat USC at USC to close out the year and be 13-5. and five. Oregon will, will sweep at home and be 13-5. and five. And then Arizona State, they'll go 3-1 and one down the stretch and be 13 and 5 and we'll have a three-way tie for first. And in that scenario, I just I I think uh I'm pretty certain Oregon walks out of that with the number 1 seed just because they split with Arizona State and they uh they they beat the Bruins and down the the list of of things that you go for the tiebreakers, Oregon's the conference champion. I think that's how it plays out. We got a three-way tie for first 
and UCLA kind of plays their way into the NCAA tournament late in the year, which is pretty remarkable, pretty crazy to think about. So, all right, now let's shift gears towards the women. Um, huge game tonight from them uh, from a, a, a standpoint of seeding purposes in the NCAA tournament for, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe – Maybe not just for Oregon, but for for Stanford, where they could fall in the NCAA tournament. Huge standings within the conference as well, right. because going into this game, Oregon is one game up in the in the standings at fourteen and one. Stanford's thirteen and two, one game behind the Ducks, with three with what three games to play for each, or two games to play after this one. So if Oregon if Oregon wins at Stanford, that essentially locks it up, right? Yeah, we were just running through how all these scenarios on the men's side and how complicated it could be and all these tiebreakers you might have to look at. On the women's side, I think it's pretty simple. Oregon wins tonight, and, and they're going to be Pac-12 champions, barring something bizarre happening at home against the Washington schools this weekend. Um, and we should mention Washington and Washington State are a combined 9-23 and in conference play this year. They're not really been juggernauts. I think those are games you can pretty confidently expect Oregon to win. So Oregon wins tonight. They'd be 15-1, and and Stanford would be 13-3. and um, obviously, I just don't, I just don't see a scenario where somehow Stanford catches up. Actually, no, they could even catch up because Oregon has a tiebreaker. Yeah, so tonight's, it's, it is tonight. It, it comes down to tonight. There's nothing left afterwards. Um, you know, and I, I feel pretty good about where Oregon is at here. We should note, um, it, one thing that's pretty significant about this is that Sabrina Inescu is speaking at Kobe and Gigi Bryant's memorial service at the Staples Center. Um, probably will already have taken place or be taking place when you're listening to this podcast. Um, and so she's going to be flying from Los Angeles back up to Northern California for the game. Um, that's a difficult task to ask anybody, especially a college athlete. It will be very interesting to see how she navigates that. It's going to be a tough emotional day. She already put out a Players' Tribune article. Um, I put something up on the site about it. You guys can probably worth something going reading if you're a big women's basketball fan. Kind of get a little, little bit clearer idea of kind of some of the decisions going on behind the scenes about coming back for school, her relationship with Kobe. Um, and relationship with just the University of Oregon athletic program as a whole, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how she handles it. I think that's that's a difficult, difficult thing. I think Kelly Graves said it right after um, the Cal, yeah, the game this weekend. Just of like, you know, if there's anybody who can handle it, it's her. And I wouldn't be surprised if she has an epic performance. And I think I kind of feel that same way too. This is the last game at Stanford. She typically performs very, very well against the Cardinal. I think she's going to be ready to go. And I do think Oregon's going to win this game, and, and we're going to be talking the next time we talk about this Oregon women's team. We're going to talking about how they've won the conference championship for the third straight year, um, and the significance of that going into a conference tournament. Which, frankly, it'll be interesting to see how much they really even need to win that to get a, the top seed in the West. I think they'd already basically locked it up, but I'm sure they're not going to hold anything back, knowing Sabrina and how competitive they are. They're going to want to go down to Las Vegas and win a win uh, a second conference championship, if you will, uh, in, in about a week's time. What? What would surprise you more, that this game tonight is <clears> – <throat> maybe I'm going super homerish here, but yeah. what would surprise you more, this game is close down the stretch or Oregon wins in a blowout fashion? Oof, that's good. The way they're playing, uh, I mean, the way Oregon's yeah. playing, like watching them against Cal, and I realize Cal is not very good, but just no. the intensity that they played with, like I haven't seen anyone match that all year. No, and, and, and we should note Stanford has, I don't want to say they've been struggling, but they've been, they have not been as dominant as Oregon, not even close. You know, they, they have, the records are similar, but you go back and you look at what Stanford's done. They, they took a buzzer beater for almost half court to beat a Colorado team that Oregon beat by about 50 points per game. Um, they barely held off Oregon State. 
earlier this weekend. Um, I, I just look at that and go, I, I think Oregon is clearly the better team. I do think you're going to get a lot. I think you're going to get Sanford's best shot. And now, and, and then it becomes, and this is where it's probably going to be a really good barometer for where they are going into postseason play because Sanford is ranked fourth in the country for a reason. They are very, very talented. They are outside of Oregon, I think pretty clearly the second best team out west. I, you know, you look at the way Oregon State has kind of fallen apart down the stretch. We should note UCLA just lost at Washington, um, yesterday, which was bizarre. Arizona, Eric McDonald's hurt and they lost at Colorado. They only scored 38 points in that game. Um, these are teams Oregon has also beaten by 20 to 30 points with the exception of Oregon State. Most games are both kind of competitive, but, um, I, I look at this game and think Oregon, I, I think I, to answer your question, I would probably be a little bit more surprised if it's a close game than if it's a blowout, just because Oregon right now has been dominating teams at such a fashion. I mean, you, you have to really go back here and, and go all the way back to, I, I guess, the Oregon State game in Corvallis, the day of Kobe's death, when you, to find one that was really close, you know, even in the fourth quarter. I know UCLA kind of fought and made things interesting about 10 days ago in Los Angeles. It was a 14-point game. That was a game they were up by 26 points late in the third quarter, and they just kind of put took the foot off the gas, lost some momentum. Uh, they are clearly the better team than anyone in this conference, and, and I think I'm leaning towards I expect this game to be won. Oregon probably doesn't win by like 30 or 40 points like they've been accustomed to, but I wouldn't right. be surprised if, at all if this is 15 to 25. Latest uh, bracketology that's come out from the women's standpoint continues to have Oregon uh, at the number one seed in Portland. <clears throat> Excuse me. They'd they be playing... UC Davis of the Big West in Eugene with a potential matchup against Ohio State or Duke. So maybe uh, a little bit of some revenge facts. kind of funny how full circle this comes. This whole yeah. run by Oregon four years ago started in part by Oregon going to Duke and getting an upset win uh, in the second round against, I think, what, the two seed? Yeah. Uh, is that right? A two seed in Duke? Yeah. Um, and now Duke could potentially come all the way back to Eugene to close out those players' careers, Sabrina, Ruthie, and um, I guess Lydia was on that team, and, and so was uh, Morgan Yeager, but both of those players were redshirting. But interesting storyline down the stretch is that if Charlie Crean from, of ESPN's women's bracketology is true and plays out this exact way, we'd get a rematch, Oregon versus UConn in Portland. That would be pretty epic. Yeah, and I think if you're Oregon, you'd probably feel pretty good about that. And, and again, I think the thing, you know, and you're going to get UConn's best shot, obviously, and, and it'll be interesting to see how they perform. I mean, UConn is, has been, you know, the the premier program in women's college basketball for a very long time, but this year they've really been kind of manhandled now by the three top teams in the country in Oregon, South Carolina, and Baylor. Um, haven't been particularly competitive with any of those schools. I think all three losses were like either 16 or 18 points. So, um you feel pretty good about Oregon in that matchup, but you also know that UConn is UConn, and, and maybe they can pull something out of the hat and be really competitive. But I really think this comes down to Oregon and South Carolina. Maybe Baylor gets in it. And I was just – I think I, – I posed this question on social media after they just blasted Cal on Friday night. That 93-61, we should mention that was the final score. that We really haven't really reflected on that, that game very much, probably because it doesn't need to be reflected upon that much. But I asked this question on social media of just like, what what are your concerns? Do you have any concerns? And, and for the most part, not a lot of fans have like any huge concerns about this team because they're just playing at such a high level in basically every facet. If, if I have one concern, it's how Oregon can defend a, a, a star post presence. And both South Carolina and Baylor have a player like that. Obviously, Lauren Cox at Baylor is their star. And South Carolina's player is actually a true freshman in LA Boston. She was a five-star top five recruit out of high school. She's the team's leading scorer at South Carolina. They're very balanced in scoring, but she's a 13-9 with about three blocks per game player. 
Um, the thing for me is, is we saw what happened a year ago where Oregon, I don't want to say they lost because of size down low because they did ha- handle uh, Tierra McGowan pretty well for Mississippi State. But those matchups have historically been the ones that have given them difficulties when they play a team that is really big, strong, and athletic and has a post presence. So to me, if Oregon has one weakness, it would be can they handle that? Because I don't think there's a team really in the conference that poses that same sort of elite post presence. Um, so facing a player like that could be a challenge, especially with some of the depth issues we've talked about all season down there. Uh, you've got Ruthie Heber, who obviously is, I think, maybe the best post player in the country or certainly deserves to be considered in that conversation. But behind that, you don't have a ton of bodies. You have a Lydia Giomi. You obviously have a Sabali who can fill in down there against some players. But to me, that would be, if, I, if, if I'm just saying, what's the thing that would concern me in a Final Four or National Championship matchup with um, a Baylor or with a South Carolina, it would be, can they defend those players? What happens if there's some foul trouble and they have to go to their bench? Can, can a Lydia Giomi match up down there? Can a Sabali match up down there? Um, those would be the things that stand out for me in terms of, of a thing that could kind of cause them to, to fall apart down the stretch here. But I, I really feel like you're looking at a team that has clear aspirations for a national championship and knows it's not that far away from accomplishing those goals. We've got three games left for the women. One of those games is tonight. And then they play in the conference tournament. I'm just curious to wrap up this show. What's, are they firing on all cylinders or what's kind of the, the, that concern that this team needs to figure out before tournament play? If there is even one out there. Yeah, I think it's, it remains the, can they defend bigs, um, part? And then in terms of like, are they firing on all cylinders? Yeah, I think they really are. Um, you know, I, I think, I, you know, and I think Kelly Graves says this a couple of times that he still thinks there's room for improvement. And I, you're always kind of having that care out in front of a team of trying to push them to do better, never letting them be content. They are playing at such a high level though. And it's not just offensively. Like you look at past couple of seasons, it's been such, they're so, so good offensively and they shoot the ball so well and they move the ball so well and they get easy baskets for each other. And that's been such a big part of their game. But I think the defense this year has really been impressive. And I think Mignon Moore deserves a lot of credit. I think, Satu Sabali has improved defensively. I think as a team they've improved defensively. A lot of credit, I think, to Mark Campbell, who works extensively on the defense for the for the program. Um, he deserves a lot of credit. Um, but I, I don't really see a huge weakness. I don't. Um, they shoot the ball really well from three-point line. They defend the three-point line really well. Um, they get the ball, you know, they score around the basket effectively. I mean, they can really score with the way Sabrina can now shoot a mid-range jump shot. They can really score at every level. They can shoot the three. I think they're the top conference team. Uh, in the Pac-12 and shooting three-point. They're the top team in the conference in free throw line. They're, I think, maybe the top team in the conference in the field goal percentage as well, and that includes mid-range and, and, and easy baskets around the basket, where Ruthie Hebert is about as consistent as any player in the country over the last four years. Um, they are hard to beat offensively. And, yeah, like I said, defensively, they've been forcing a lot more turnover, scoring, and transition, and even defending the rim. I think they had seven shot blocks against California. That's not necessarily been a strength of theirs, but you see that start to come together here late in the season, and that's got to be encouraging. So, um they are, I think, firing on all cylinders. And, of course, I'm saying that going into a game with Stanford, which I think is going to be um, a, a huge test. But, again, I think the way they're playing right now, they are they are ready for this challenge. And I feel pretty confident that you're going to go into the NCAA tournament feeling like they're really going to have to face a really good team playing its best game to beat them because they just haven't really been challenged basically since that Arizona State game and then the Louisville game before that. They truly haven't been challenged very much, and they've been playing some of the best teams in the country. So, um, yeah, I think the one thing you worry about is, is can they defend a big, but overall there's not much that comes to mind for me that I go, boy, they got to figure this out in a hurry or they're in trouble because I just think they're, they are really firing on all cylinders at this moment. 
All right, that's going to do it for us. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Matt Prey, Eric Scopels with me. As always, we'll talk to you next week. Adios, amigos.